This is Johnny Blue Star. Welcome to Threshold, a global media event. Is the universe just a random dance of atoms, or is it a manifestation of a supremely intelligent architect? Can its purpose, or our purpose here on Earth, be adequately assessed? Can we commune with it, know its intentions, cooperate with its direction? Here, we define Threshold as a gateway state of awareness, allowing mankind to cross into a place of real cognition. Threshold allows us to approach questions of higher reality through the door of experience rather than mere belief. Welcome to Threshold, where we tear away the veil from commercial media, bringing our audience and participants into another realm of reality and enhanced communication. This is Johnny Blue Star on Threshold Radio in a show we're calling Uncovering the Entrepreneur Within. Our guest is Eric K. Kinneman, who is shortly to become an associate professor of management at the University of South Dakota. He prefers the nickname K, which we will call him throughout this program. Uh, good morning, K. Hello, how you doing? Well, it seems like you're about to uh, embark on a really interesting movement upwards in your career. Why don't you tell us what your career has been so far? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, basically high school. I graduated high school and I decided to join the military right away. And so uh, I was a combat medic, combat nurse for the military. I served eight years. And uh, part of the story on my education and my background, I think is a little bit important because I'll tie it into the entrepreneurship's items later. But for most of my life, I usually have received the education after I've did the job. So kind of backwards on a lot of items. Well, I understand but, uh, I was that. a combat medic, combat nurse for the military. And they trained me to be a trauma nurse. So when I got it, I'm sorry, what division? 5501st U.S. Army Hospital stationed in San Antonio. Ah, okay. Army. Let's say the military started me out in the, the nursing medical career path. And uh, when I got out, that is a great paying job. And uh, as far as doing the trauma training, I was basically ICU trained. So I worked as an ICU nurse when I got out. But I real quickly figured out, and this was way back in uh, you know 1994 to 2002 uh, timeframe, I figured out that my job skill was in demand high enough that I didn't actually have to work for the hospital to work in the hospital. And I, I started doing what we call uh, contract nursing or agency nursing, right. which is basically instead of me working directly for the hospital, I work for an agency or myself and I contract with the hospital directly. So this was kind of like my first, not other family members, but my own personal you know, journey into entrepreneurship. Right. And uh, because of, again, the field I was in and the training I, I was in, and also, I'm a, I'm a weird one. Military got me used to working some odd shifts. So I worked, I'm okay with working weekends and I'm okay working nights. So I'm an ICU nurse that likes to work weekends and likes to work nights. And the differentials and pays were just through the roof, high demand. And so I would contract my labor out to the hospital. I did that for a number of years and uh, eventually got burned out of nursing. So I wanted out of nursing. And at that time, my wife was actually pursuing her PhD, and all of this was happening inside Texas. Uh, she was pursuing her PhD in uh, social psychology, experimental psychology at Texas Tech University. 
So when I was at Texas, she was at Texas Tech, I decided, well, I'm here. I might as well go back to school myself and, you know, try to try to move up items. And so I started doing my MBA. My undergrad, believe it or not, is actually not medical related. It is management of information systems. I started doing that job on the side of nursing. And again, the IT work was high enough demand. I started contracting myself out. So again, started another little contracting business. But um, I was doing IT. I moved to Texas Tech and I had, you know, kind of like these two different trail, you know, paths to go. Either go back to the you know, business IT route or go, you know, business medical route, whatever else. And so I kind of split the difference. So for my MBA from Texas Tech, I have a concentration in um, health management organizations, finance and management. Wow. It was interesting. While I was at Texas Tech, they offered me a slot into the PhD program. And I was like, I am never, ever going into academia. (laughs) I like the business world too much. I like the private sector too much, whatever else. And so I, I moved to Alabama, which is where my wife got her job and uh, worked IT when I was here. And then probably about six months into it, something happened. And it's just like, I decided to go ahead and attempt to work, I guess, at the, the university level. What actually happened to make you make that change? I was working mad hours as an IT administration when I was working for a business. When I was doing contracting with both the IT contracting and uh, the nursing contracted, I had some bad hours, you know, as far as like working nights and then hospitals, IT things, they always break on the weekend or you know, holidays, whatever else. So I was used to kind of working holidays, weekends, you know, not a great schedule. But when I was working for someone else, I was actually putting a lot more hours. And oddly enough, I would consider it kind of like the same bad hours, you know. So I was working for a banking system at the time and, you know, stuff happened on the weekends or stuff happened on the night. I was expected to come in still. But uh, again, compared to what I was earning contractor wise versus, you know, corporate side, whatever else, it wasn't much of a pay increase. I was getting paid a little bit more because I had, you know, a full 40 hours or plus 40 hours every single week. But uh, per hour rate, I was earning much better as a contractor. The area that I was in was kind of small, so I didn't see a lot of entrepreneurship type advancements that I could do. As as far as the IT, there wasn't the right type of businesses. There were some nursing items, and uh, like I said, I was trying to get away from nursing. I was trying to go different direction. So anyways, my wife talked me into teaching for one semester as an adjunct. Just go teach, see if I like it. In uh, the professor world or the academic world, there's three main tenets to our job. One's called service, research, and teaching. Service is every professor is expected to go out, support the community or uh, the area in some way or form through volunteer work, through helping, through workshops, something like that. The research, you know, we're supposed to, that's how we kind of stay on top of our topics, whatever we're supposed to be teaching. We're supposed to be up to date on the latest research. So that's the reason they forced that. And the last one's teaching. Well, I service, I don't mind. I mean, I'm a nurse. I volunteered for Katrina when I was, you know, after the fact, you know, for no money, whatever else to go down and help out. So service isn't a really big issue for me as far as doing items. The research, I had helped with my wife on some research. I knew I enjoyed that. It was the teaching part. And the teaching part came in. My mom was a high school teacher. And I remember some of her stories. And I was thinking, you know, a student's going to say something to me. And I'm just going to like, you know, backhand him. And boom, I'm fired. And that's the end of my career. (laughs) So I wasn't sure if I was going to like the teaching part. I taught that semester. And I I did something you should never do. I taught three different classes. We call it three different preps. I taught a, a business communication class, a financial management class, and an operations management class. And uh, one of the places where I worked IT, I worked for a company, it was with a manufacturing company. So I was extremely familiar with operations type work. 
So these were three areas I could, uh, I don't want to say teach off the top of my head, but at least professionally, I was extremely familiar with, and I had the educational background to be able to teach it at the, the university level. And what I realized was teaching at the university level versus teaching at probably any other level is completely different. All the students that you have at the university level, they want to be there. No one's forced to, you know, to be there. They want to learn. They actually have a lot of questions, you know, and there's a driving force for why they're there. They're looking for gainful employment. And so having an instructor that had professional background like I did, they were really interested in me because they'd come up, okay, what exactly did you do in your career? What did you do to, you know, be successful, whatever else? And all the way up until this time frame, including the military, I've always been like promoted early or given pay raises and recognized whatever else. You know, looking back at this, and I, I tell this to my students, I don't think I did anything special. I think I just, one of the things I would say is you need, in the entrepreneurship world, we say, you know, you need to focus on what the customer wants. When you're working inside of the business, your customer is the business, you know, so what is the business specifically looking at? And so I, I was really good about identifying that and doing basically what they wanted and I'd get rewarded for it. So I taught for a semester, and I absolutely loved it. And by the end of the semester, I applied for a PhD program. And the program I ended up going to was University of Memphis. They do now, but at the time that I joined, or I started, it was 2007. And at that time, they did not have uh, PhDs in entrepreneurship. What usually happened is you would become a management professor with strategy. And strategy is usually like the capstone area for most business programs, undergrad and, and master's level. And strategy is where you teach individuals how to tie all the different parts of a company together. So how does finance, accounting, operations, how do they all operate together to make the overall firm success? The difference between entrepreneurship and strategy is when you're dealing with with strategy, and you're talking about strategy, usually you have divisions. You have an HR division, operations division. The difference between that and entrepreneur is the entrepreneur, usually it's them or a small team. You know, they don't have a team they can throw off the marketing to. It's most likely the entrepreneur themselves. So this is why entrepreneurship was usually kind of situated under strategy. So my actual research focus for my PhD is entrepreneurship and international management. And both of those areas fall under strategy, so which is why I'm considered a strategy professor. So that brings me up to current right now. When I moved to University of Memphis, uh, strategy is a very in-demand field, just like entrepreneurship is. But unfortunately, strategy, I shouldn't say unfortunately, uh, it's, it's given me a job. Uh, strategy is in more demand than entrepreneurship, so I'll be responsible for teaching strategy when I move up there. Well, thank you very much for telling us so that. That's where I am now. That is sort of a story of an entrepreneurial journey to becoming a teacher. So uh, I'm going to um, take a break now, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Okay. This is Johnny Blue Star, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. Initially, I wanted to be a playwright, but once in college, I fell in love with movies and have been writing my own and for clients for many years. No, I'm not entrenched in Hollywood. But I think if you look at my samples, you can determine if I can capture the drama and power of your idea. I'm up to refining your work to professional quality. I've worked on dramatic films, comedy, science fiction, documentaries, and even musicals. I have several books published now that are the beginning of book and film franchises. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form. The following is from West Side Warrior, the memoir of Ray Boylan, a Korean War veteran and crime fighter. He was there fighting in the world's coldest battlefield when the Chinese communists invaded. Desperate squad members ran past our foxhole yelling, Get the hell out of here! There's too many of them! 
Again, we saw the Chinese soldiers charge again with opium-induced mindlessness, oblivious of our bullets. Again, we heard the bugles and whistles. Climbing out of our foxhole, Bob dropped two hand grenades behind us, and I threw one over my shoulder. Bullets whizzing by our heads, Bob and I became bolts of lightning flashing across the mountainside. Like a hideous film, desperate scenes like this played out on the Tokong Pass for three days. Sometimes I played in the scene. Sometimes I could only watch and wonder if it were real, or if I'd be suddenly jolted out of my trance by an RKO usher saying, Hey, did you kids sneak in here? To acquire this book, Google westsideWarrior.boylan.kindle. Boylan is spelled B-O-Y-L-A-N. That's westsidewarrior.boylan.kindle. Here's an inspiring song, Gifted, an homage to Robert Johnson, a great blues singer and songwriter, by a UK artist, Stephanie Slevin. A lot of us who do things like this, painters, writers, songwriters, go through a lot of the same challenges other types of entrepreneurs do. A lot of people probably didn't like Robert Johnson, but he didn't care. Stephanie Slevin is one of the best singer-songwriters around, but she knows, like I do, the hard cost to a person striving for success, even if they are gifted. Stephanie Slevin, in this song, pays tribute to Robert Johnson in a song called Gifted. They say you're gifted You must have got your gifts from the devil Your lyrics uplifted Because they're on the new level You must have made a pact with the devil Your lyrics uplifted Could I not have got them from heaven? What's wrong with you? Can't you see? My gifts are from God
got your gifts from the devil Your lyrics uplifting Because they're wrong Gifts are from God And my name is Robert Johnson We're back with Kay Kinneman, who, who is uh, advancing in his career to become Associate Professor of Management at the University of South Dakota. And we've been talking about what his career has consisted of. And it's uh, been rather uh, an interesting, diverse kind of path, but still, in a certain way, very focused and very sort of the, it seems like to me, Kay, uh, this job that you're going into is sort of like, a, it's like you're all the div- different diversity aspects of your career, the IT and the nurse thing all kind of blossom together in a way that you can help other people uh, pursue a uh, entrepreneurial and uh, kind of management uh, direction. Is that correct? Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it's a lot of different items came together for me personally for doing my own entrepreneurship items. But then I think the way that I did it also makes me a really good candidate for share that to other people. So for example, you know, I when I was younger, I did, like I said, in the nursing and both in IT field, I did consulting. So I am used to dealing with clients, billing, you know, setting up schedules and items like that from that aspect. Going back into my education, I now see some of the importance of some of the items that I was doing and for telling people, you know, moving forward. So it's, I have that practical knowledge and I have the the academic or the research knowledge. You know, people will talk about which one's more important. I think they're both important. Uh, well, I was going to say ahead, that you were you were um, you were saying that privately when we were talking that um, oftentimes business business teachers are given a little more latitude to start their own sort of independent business because it helps them with their the actual training they're providing to their students. Yes. So in the in the academic field, you know. It's a full-time job, and so the university wants the professor to work full-time for the university. But we do have that component called service where the professor is supposed to go out and help the community items, whatever, or do something, you know, out in the real world. Well, for business professors, there's we're given a little bit more latitude or, or it's a little bit more lax on us, and that we're encouraged to stay current in this field. And so that might be working part-time, moonlighting, working on boards or whatever else. And the importance of this, and the example I like to use is like of an accounting professor. If an accounting professor currently has their own accounting firm and they are actively advising clients, now they don't have to be doing it full time. They could just be doing a few clients a week or a month or whatever else. But this is enough to keep them on top of the new tax laws, the new items coming out, the new trends. When that accounting professor then steps into the classroom, they can convey that information to the students. One of the things you hear about complaints, you know, from students is you're teaching us theory. Well, no, this helps the professor to be able to teach concrete information and concrete information that is current. You know what I'm saying? Again, this is what's happening in the field right now, and they're being able to bring it into the business place. So for most of the places I've been, 
the business departments have been extremely actually supportive. I won't even say lax about stopping us, but supportive of us doing other activities, side hustles, moonlighting, however you want to phrase it. Now, yeah. we still, I mean, to be clear, we still have to do our, quote, 40 hours and the, our commitment to the university, but they would like us to see go above and beyond that and stay active in the business community. Well, am I correct in thinking that I don't know how long it's been since entrepreneurship sort of entered in formally into academia? I don't think it, it was there, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. I think it was a very minor, unusual uh, aspect of academic education. Is that correct? It, absolutely correct. And it has exploded recently. I don't have numbers on top of my head, but I'm trying. So these are rough, uh, I want to say a little bit rough guesses here. But if you go back 20 years ago, I think the number of entrepreneurship classes, not majors or degrees, but just an entrepreneurship class, you're talking like maybe 20 or something like that in the United States. Very, very rare. Very few schools had it. Because I, um, I explored that a little bit. If in you terms look of at our, entrepreneurship uh, now, yeah. well, I was going to say, if you look at it now, I would say probably every single university at for a four-year institution that has a business program most likely has at least an entrepreneurship class. But in the business programs, it's maybe not 50%, but I would say you know, rough guessing at 20% of universities have a minor, major, or entrepreneurship concentration or something you, like that. Our it has hugely grown. My impression has been that business Sorry, schools, that in general, back that, that time period, business schools were generally preparing people for corporate positions. And a lot of what they prepared them for was rather academic. In other words, not really all that useful. Yeah. Is that true yeah, now? It was, uh, going back to that theory versus practical I think businesses have changed. In fact, I'm going to use A&M as an example. So uh, I'm no longer working there, but uh, I was there for three years. And the first, I want to say the first semester I was there, the first year I was there, the new dean implemented a requirement. All business students must have an internship, a business internship to graduate. Oh, that's very and good. I think this is a move. Now, the first school to do it, they just happened to do it when I was there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, other schools I've been at, uh, Brea College up in Kentucky, it's not required. It's just uh, highly, 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 highly encouraged where I, I don't think any student did not have one. Other schools have it, like uh, Texas A&M, but it's not required. But it's I think it's moving that direction. And it's to specifically get over the problem that you were just talking about. Uh, we want students, we teach them some theory items, critical thinking. But there's also some application stuff. It's no good to learn the theory, but then not learn how to apply theory. I'm sorry. I, I think the business schools right now are on that trend to try to bridge that divide. And I think internships are a great way of doing it. So, how many people do you think that graduate from? How many people do you think that graduate from an entrepreneurial academic program actually do become their own business owner or work with other people in a partnership somehow? You think it's that is a great question, and it's one with a lot of debate right now. I'm going to have to split the answer a little bit. So I'm a professor; I can never do a straightforward, straight answer, yes or no. That's right. <laughs> for it's the good undergrad, for the undergrad, well, first of all, for all college graduates, only I think about a third of graduates actually work in the degree that they went to school for. Now that's all of undergraduates, and so you have history, psychology, sociology, and business—you know—majors mixed all in there. Business majors tend to do their the skill that they're trained at, you know, especially the finance, accounting, and IT type folk. But uh, you still have a lot of people who get an education in one area and they they go someplace else. 
for an undergrad entrepreneurship degree, my opinion and, and come some of the facts is you don't have a lot of people going in and starting their own businesses. What you do see is I think probably it's a split within those people that are getting that degree. Some people see, you know, the image of, you know, Apple or, you know, Facebook, whatever else, and they're thinking big bucks, whatever else. But there's also a group of students, and I can think of a student off the top of my head. Um, I don't want I want to drop any names, but he came out with a really good idea. And when he first told me about it, I was kind of skeptical. I gave him, like, you know, cross-eyed look, whatever else. But he had a business idea, and his whole purpose for college was to get the information necessary to launch that business idea. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And he's very successful at it. So, but he's, I think he's kind of like the outlier right now. He's not the normal entrepreneurship student. Uh, Probably half the students are just getting the degree to get the degree. Now, it's not a bad degree. It teaches general business items. But if you're going to corporate America, I think it's a little bit more important to, you know, corporate America, when they're hiring an accountant, they want someone with an accounting degree. You know what I'm saying? They're going to overlook that entrepreneurship individual. Even though that entrepreneurship individual, I would call them like a jack of all trades. And that's kind of like how we train them. They have more accounting than the marketing person, but they don't have as much accounting as the accountant, you know, student. They're not going to get looked at first. So I think that puts them at a disadvantage. In your teaching of management, how important is the marketing aspect of it? I mean, how do you divide up the different... Uh, this is uh, interesting. Stuff? Well, let, let me back up. I want to finish answering the question on the entrepreneurship degree. Yeah. My opinion about the entrepreneurship concentration degree changes at the MBA level. When someone does an MBA, they're usually moving up into management or they're moving to a higher level items. And also, these are also individuals that are looking to start their own businesses and stuff like that. And they are, you know, they've got business experience and to be able to do it. So I think entrepreneurship programs, concentrations, and stuff like that are much more impactful at the MBA level than they are at the undergrad level. Now, as far as what job, I shouldn't say job, what discipline is most important in uh, the entrepreneurship realm? Mm -hmm. This is funny because I actually had to do a change of heart when I was in there. So I went in there, I was very management focused, very finance focused, you know what I'm saying? And so I was thinking management and finance and, you know, get the money right, whatever else. But it has been clear with uh, actually the service work and going out and working with other entrepreneurs. Those two skills, they're important. I'll agree. You know, I'll still stay on that. But the one I'd probably say is the most important is marketing and sales. Yeah. If you don't know how to identify your market and you can't service a certain market or a certain customer or, you know, somebody needs to want your product enough to pay for it. You know what I'm saying? And if you can't figure out who those people are or if you can't make a product that does that, then I don't care what level of management you have, you're not going to be successful. So my first focus with a lot of students is is, uh, the marketing aspect. And so I really stress that and making sure that they're customer focused. The other items I think are all important in that they help support that activity. So I'm going to jump to the finance real important. I Talking with other entrepreneurs earlier today, so as I, I reach out with my network, I talk to new entrepreneurs or people who have been entrepreneurs while well, I'll ask them a couple of questions and get them connected to LinkedIn. So that way I can follow up with them later in, on their business items. Right. And uh, this individual had just hired, I think he said uh, a new developer who that developer hired two part-time developers to work with him. So he basically has uh, two full-time employees or one and two half-time employees, however you want to count it. You know what I'm saying? And so they're developing his product. He's got some customers coming in, but he's like, I really need to focus on the, you know, the sales aspect because I need to keep cash flow going. 
Now, when he says cash flow, that immediately makes me jump into accounting terminology and accounting process. Yeah, he's going to make money, but he needs to make money not five years down the road. He needs to make money by the end of the month. And I think the accounting skills help with that. I think for understanding what your, I say rate of return, but what your investment is and what amount of money you can get back from a project, the financing is important. So all those other areas, I think, kind of help support the marketing and sales part. But very first thing I would you know, stress to anybody who wants to become an entrepreneur is, you know, learn some marketing, learn some sales, and make sure that you have a product that people actually want. Well, with so. that, we're going to take another break. That was really interesting. And uh, we'll get into more of the details of some of the things that you, you are uh, teaching. We'll be right back. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be nonfiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio or video products on the internet, television or radio, musical scores for advertising, television or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing and useful technology and offering platforms for positive, socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast and we offer client-based and collaborative products, as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. That's www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. Are you confused about so much information on health issues? Do you find it hard to trust the sources of conflicting advice? Try Dr. Rodier's newsletters and blogs based on the latest information published in the best medical and nutritional journals. There's no charge for subscribing. Just log on to hugorodier.com. That's H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com to do so or to download Dr. Rodier's latest publications. I've been an entrepreneur full-time or part-time most of my life. I found it to be exciting, even thrilling, but the downward moments have been challenging. If you look at it from my perspective, it is a spiritual journey because it is the personality of the entrepreneur which is put to the test if he or she is actually trying to find guidance from within. You're not just trying to make money, but perfect your character in the face of adversity. Here's an interesting portrait of a player in the entrepreneurial game from New Age Visuals. You have to be patient and have perseverance and having a sense of where you want to go and having the passion to still believe in your idea even when everybody else is saying, well, why are you wasting your time on this? It obviously is not, it's not, it's not happening, but you know it's going to happen. You just don't, you, know, you never give up on that idea. I think what's great about the truly transformative inventions and the entrepreneurial ideas that really end up having a, a significant impact is they start relatively small and most people don't quite understand even what you're talking about. And they take some time before they get traction, but eventually they break through and the impact's far broader than anybody you know, could have imagined. Entrepreneurs who want to change the world, who want to have a significant impact, don't want to just build a company. They want to build it. They don't want to just create another product or service. They really want to fundamentally improve aspects of, of the people's lives. The people started these great companies. They just think out solutions on their own to problems. 
You don't do it the way it's been done before. That's in a book. You go out and you try something new because you think it, that you'll be able to make it work. The great business icons, it's not that they were worth hundreds of millions or billions or trillions of dollars, is that they moved society forward. Whatever their motivations, whatever it was, they being here and their lust for success, for power, for money, for fame, moved us forward. Every great business leader I've ever met, in addition to being very smart, very driven, they have this, why not me? Screw it, I deserve it, let's go. And if you don't have that, you can't achieve greatness. With all the great entrepreneurs, it was a mix of believing in an idea, but they also recognized that they had to do some things to take that idea and make it real. It probably comes early in an entrepreneur's life where you realize you're willing to do things in the business world that other people aren't willing to do. Everybody has got ideas and everybody's got ambitions, but most people aren't willing to cross that line. And I think an entrepreneur that's successful, that's your nature. Wherever there's change, wherever there's uncertainty, there's opportunity. You have to be able to take risk. You can't have greatness in anything without putting it on the line. Otherwise, everybody would have it. If there was no loss, if there was no chance of tremendous failure or tremendous setback, you can't have the upside. There is no success without risk-taking. And I think that is actually what distinguishes the captains of industry from others. You have to be smart, you have to have vision, you have to have all of these different things. But the most successful people are the people that had the right idea but never, ever quit or gave up. The people that really succeed in life are those that don't quit. People react to failure in one of two ways. Either they get scared and give up, or they take that failure that as a learning experience, and they kind of use that experience to redouble their efforts. I guarantee if these guys were alive today, they wouldn't be telling you about their successes. They'd be telling you about their early failures or the places they almost failed. That's the great motivator, and you have to be able to embrace that. If you can't embrace both failure or the possibility of failure or the tremendous fear of failure, you can't be wildly successful. It's just, it's an axiomatic truth. One striking thing about Carnegie, and this is true of the great entrepreneurs, they're willing to take risks. They're willing to roll the dice and bet, in later days, the whole corporation, or in this case, bet his career. Most people are too busy looking on the outside to really check what their barometers say inside. So as an entrepreneur, if you look inside, you'll find things that they all need that could become immensely popular if someone had the courage to promote it or to build it. has some uniqueness, either unique talent, unique product, unique capacity, and the trick is to find it and capitalize on it. You're always looking for the next innovation, the next niche, the next product improvement, the next service improvement. You're always trying to get better. He's looking into the future. He looks across the Mississippi and he sees a bridge and he's able to see that future and then willing to have enough confidence in his vision to put everything he's got into it 
and he's willing to convince others that he knows what that future is going to be. When it finally does break through, it, it is sort of gratifying because you, you're starting to see the reality of what you always believe, that, that the vision you had that someday the world would be different is starting to move in that direction. If you were in a well-run company, competing against other well-run companies, you're, you're coming up with ideas to jump them. You're thinking, they might do this, I'm going to do this. Business, in the end, is understanding the playing field. Tell me who's on it, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and what is your checkmate play to top them and nail them. And so you're always in that competitive game. You're looking at innovation. You're looking at leapfrogging, trying to get ahead of them. You're never complacent. You're semi-paranoid about what they're doing. That's what a game is all about. Oftentimes I'm asked, do you have to be ruthless to be very successful? And I say, you do not have to be ruthless, you have to be smart. Smart is the key word, you have to be smart. I never like to look back. I'm a very forward-thinking person and a very positive-thinking person. And the transactions that I did or did not do, I very rarely have any remorse over the situation. I like to move on. All that matters is how big do you want to dream and how hard do you want to work? We're back on Threshold Radio with Kay Kinnan, and we've been discussing... Uh, sort of the uh, one of the chief focuses most recently uh, in his in his uh, teaching management, which is the marketing part. And I wanted to ask you. I think that you pretty much came into this already uh, in your life. Uh, you know, you're very familiar with online and how online grew. Uh, but do you think mm-hmm. there's much of a? Di- I mean, is the is the entrepreneurial sort of the basic entrepreneurial concepts? the same for online marketing or is there differences between you know regular offline marketing i'm going to jump back to a story because i think it helps uh iterate this i was at a entrepreneurship event in huntsville and it was called um brain trust and the idea was they would get entrepreneurships entrepreneur individuals who are starting a business or have started a business basically at a table and then the table would have someone basically would guide the speaking whatever else and they'd go around state a problem they have and then the other entrepreneurs would try to help that person with the business problem that they were having mm-hmm. and i had this one entrepreneur he will i don't know if he's successful now i know the endeavors that he tried he has not been successful yet but he's very very persistent so he's going to be and this is where the things you know fail fail fast try again whatever else so he will be, I, I'm sure, successful you know, moving forward. But he was trying to do some items, and he was talking about game development and how he has this platform. And I forgot the platform's name. I'm, I'm not that tech savvy anymore. But he was going into it, and he was talking about how many viewers he had and items and, and clicks and all those other items. And the speaker, it was a very successful female entrepreneur. She cut him off at some point in time. <laughs> and uh, she's like, who is going to pay for your product. Who is giving you money? You know what I'm saying? And he got flustered because he had no answer for it. You know what I'm saying? And this makes me think to a a very famous strategist professor. His name is uh, Dr. Porter. He's Porter's Five Forces, if you're familiar with those items. He's the one that came up with that. He talks about the internet. When it came out, it confused a lot of people, and he actually used that word. The internet is great in that I think it's a great tool, but it changed how things were done, but it didn't change the fundamentals of business, if that makes sense. 
You yeah. still have to have customers that are willing to pay for your product. Somebody has to be willing to pay. Now, that could be an advertiser who's willing to pay because you have lots of people on your site or a customer willing to pay because you have a product they want. But somebody has to pay. Somehow you have to attract those people. Somehow you have to satisfy some need. And so uh, I like, like I said, how Dr. Porter called it and said, you know, the internet just confused a whole lot of people. With online marketing, I think it's the same thing. I think the principles to marketing are still there. It's just the online tweaks it, if that makes sense. So in a physical environment, you're not going to be able to collect the data to know, like in, in Facebook, they know your age, they know your race, they know your birthday, you know, uh, between enough clicks, they know your political affiliation, your likes, your dislikes, your hobbies, whatever else. Well, when I have a customer that walks into my physical business, I don't know all that information. Now, if I could get all that information, I would use it, but I don't have it. The internet creates the ability to be able to collect that information. And a lot of times it's collected through cookies or what, you know, through your web browsing or whatever else. Right. And so with that information, you can start making more targeted type commercials and items to attract the people that you want to attract to. So I'm, I'm going to jump to a different story. And I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot the company's name, but it was uh, my wife really liked their product. And this was before the internet. So this we're talking, I guess it wasn't before the internet. Internet was just starting to develop at the time. Uh, around 2000, 1999, 2000. And this magazine is a catalog type subscription item. What they would do is they would find, how you want to say, fair trade made items in different countries and then, you know, pay those individuals a quote fair price and then ship to the United States and, and you would buy it type thing. And so you'd order these items. And there were ethnic type items. So I had things from Africa, things from Australia, whatever else. My wife was really into those type of items. And so I remember the catalog coming in every single month. And then the catalog stopped coming in. And, uh, you know, she accused me of hiding it so she couldn't buy stuff. That was not the case. It just did not come in. And so eventually, uh, because she thought I was hiding it from her, I had to find out where was the catalog. So I called them up and I couldn't get anyone on the phone. And eventually I found out they went out of business. And what ended up happening was, uh, and this makes sense, the people who buy your product are more likely to buy your product again. So what they would do is they had this huge, basically like access or Excel database and they would rank all the customers of how much they bought from them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then basically the top like 1,000 customers or 10,000 customers would get a magazine. Uh, that's who they would ship the magazine to. Now, the thing is, the magazine print cost was so expensive, they'd actually go into the red. But then when those orders start coming in from those customers, they'd go back into the black. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The last cycle, somebody screwed up and they sorted backwards. And they shipped out the magazine to the 10,000 least Oh my God! Uh, on their list. Yeah, if I if I hadn't experienced and things like that in my life, that was life, the end of them. Yeah, that is really too bad. That was the end of them. You know what I'm saying? Nowadays, I'm sure someone's did something like that recently. But since you have the internet, I can pull up information. So I can. It's a waste of money to send an advertising, you know, for camping equipment to someone who lives in the middle of New York City and will never go out into the woods. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, the same thing, you know, for someone in. Uh, I'm moving to South Dakota, so I don't have sticks there because we don't have a lot of trees, but fields, you know what I'm saying? Sending me a, a Metro Pass discount thing, whatever else, when I visit New York City is not going to be, I'm not a client, you know what I'm saying? I'm highly unlikely, very rarely would I buy that product, whatever else. And so the internet allows us to collect some of this fine-grained detail information, which I think makes it easier to identify our customers. It also makes it really easy for our customers to give us feedback. I mean, this is a common thing that 
sales and marketing people will tell you, but your customers that are buying stuff from you, they're the people that you need to listen to. You know, if you have a whole lot of your customers saying, hey, we would like to see you add a widget or to do this, this would make the product much better. And I'd buy a new one if you did it. Add the widget. You know what I'm saying? These are your current customers and they're telling you how to improve your product. In the old days, you know, I would have to physically call a salesperson and do that or they'd have to come by and, you know, in a chat, a follow up chat, they tell me. Now I can just submit that comment online. You know what I'm saying? Send an email. How do you like your product? Is there anything we could have did better? You know, and as a person, you know, they might get really short responses, but you get enough of those short responses or you get a really interesting response. You can follow up with that customer and say, you know what, we read your feedback and you said this. Could you tell me more of what, what you were thinking? And so I think the Internet allows that fine grained detail and that follow up that just has not been possible, you know, because right. of constraints, time, location, all that beforehand. Well, you've been on LinkedIn. That's that's how I'm I can answer the question. On that one. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. You've been on LinkedIn, which is actually how I encountered you. And uh, apparently you have a network. And although the network, I guess it's it's really de- devoted to sort of helping uh, entrepreneurial type of people. Is that correct? I, I just crossed a threshold. So I, I just got back from a study abroad. So I wasn't paying attention to LinkedIn when I was overseas because I was taking care of students. But uh, I just crossed the 10,000 mark for number of connections on LinkedIn. Really? Wow, uh, that's great. The vast majority of my connection, I would say about 500 of those connections are people I know from, you know, hand, handshaking business experience type items. So my true Rolodex, what you know, call it back in the old days, uh, is about 500 people. And again, that the base on LinkedIn is about 10,000 right now. What I started doing, especially when I became an academic, is one way for me to stay current is to stay in contact with other entrepreneurs, you know, people doing the business, whatever else. And so I've been reaching out to entrepreneurs now, specifically, I want to say probably five years, but really intensely the last three years, the last year. So just, you know, I, I go through my network of second level connections. I look to see who has started a business, you know, at some point in their life or has been on a board or involved with some type of entrepreneurship activity and basically send them a note. Now, this interesting, the LinkedIn, I think it's a great tool. If you're a professional, I think you should have an account up there. There's free accounts. So I'm, I'm, I don't own any LinkedIn stock, disclaimer there. <laughs> so I'm not making any money off of this, but they do have a free account and you can set up a business site for free. I, I suggest everyone do that because in the old days, what we used to call, you know, the internet for companies, we used to call them uh, billboards on the internet. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I think LinkedIn does really good. Gives an ability for people to to find you, you know what I'm saying? And if, if they can't remember all the details about you, you want to make it as easy for them to be able to follow up or find you as possible. Now, so LinkedIn, this, I think, does does that ability. Does this help you with your research? I mean, can you use your network? I, I know that you do have to do certain types of research uh, on entrepreneurship. Does the LinkedIn yeah, me- mem- I, members help you with that? I actually will use it for research purposes. I won't collect any data because uh, even though I haven't read the, what do you call that, practice, service agreements, whatever else recently, I do know because of some stuff like with uh, Facebook and the elections, whatever else, you're not allowed to collect certain data. So I don't collect any data automatically. But what I will do is like in a, probably in a couple of weeks, my research is specifically on, on entrepreneurs and more specifically on how entrepreneurship or entrepreneur individuals think. So there's a word that we use, fancy word for it, but it's called opportunity recognition. Most entrepreneurs see things that other people don't see, you know, as far as how to turn something into a profit or how to, you know, turn something into a business or how to take advantage of something or whatever else. And so that slight thinking difference of them 
gives them a different perspective on how items happen, and they make different choices than a, a normal individual would be would well, make. Well, this so is a, that is the actual process or the brain thinking things that I study. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, say goodbye for this program, but we'll, we'll have another program in a week, okay. and uh, we're going to discuss the actual mindset of an entrepreneur. If you, if that's okay. Thank you. We'll see you. Uh, okay. We'll see yeah, you soon. That works for me. The Coalition is a unique project designed to empower its members both individually and collectively. Besides individual empowerment, its broader focus is on the restoration, protection, and enhancement of citizen and human rights throughout the world through the aid of its members. As this project is centered in the United States, our first task is to create a website and social network infrastructure to promote collective efforts to take back our rightful control as citizens over our government as designed by our founding fathers. Although we must begin with the social network restricted to United States citizens, the organization will also host a global dialogue for the discussion of human rights by citizens of democratic nations throughout the world. If you're interested, please check us out in the GoFundMe.com website, entering in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. That is, go to GoFundMe.com and enter in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. This is Johnny Bluestar. We all live very closely or within ourselves to an immense journey of self-discovery and adventure. For humanity, both the wide expanse of stars and the infinitely wider space within ourselves beckon us to make that leap forward. Thank you for making Threshold Radio part of your journey. Be well and keep cosmic. Well, we could be an entrepreneur or else we might wound up like a working man, as John Henry was. That ain't too bad. I think I'd rather be an entrepreneur. We go out with a lightning-fast banjo of Bill Monroe. Driving man, Lord, Lord, son gonna be a steel driving man. John Henry went upon the mountain, looked down on the other side, saw the mountain was a tall Johnny and he was. Laid down his hammer and he cried, Lord, Lord, laid down his hammer and cried. Bring me cool drink of water before I die, Lord, Lord. Cool drink of water before I die. John Henry hammered on the right hand side. The steam rail hammered on the left. 
poor I would see that stranger beat me down I'd hammer my fool self to death, Lord, Lord Hammer my fool self to death Going where John Henry fell dead, Lord, Lord. Going where John Henry fell dead. Talk about John Henry as much as you please. Another such a steel driving man, Lord, Lord. Another such a steel driving man. John Henry told his captain how all to go to bed. Not work. Potty drove a steel like a man, Lord, Lord. Potty drove a steel like a man. Money rolling in my head, Lord, Lord. Money rolling in my head. 